uh, we took two, uh, a husband and wife, who've been married for over 70 years, both living in um, different aged care facilities, um, both um, you know, bedridden. He was dying, he, he was, you know, didn't have long to go, and I just wanted to hold hands one more time. So there's a fantastic photo of these two beds, side by side, two old hands just holding each other. So it's just amazing what we do. It's the centre in all stations of the child area, it's quite on the floor, it's the opening end. Still breathing okay at the moment. Is it a big property? That blood pressure is not coming up. Hi, my name is Lana Mitchell from the Royal Flying Doctor Service. This is a podcast about life in the bush, mateship, courage, and the role that the Royal Flying Doctor Service plays in serving rural and remote communities. This is the Flying Doctor Podcast. My name is Kira Lee Dargan from the Royal Flying Doctor Service and I'm an Aboriginal woman of the Wiradjuri Nation. This podcast has been recorded on Ngunnawal land and is being broadcast across all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander nations. We at the Royal Flying Doctor Service want to acknowledge Elders past and present. The RFDS recognises that this is First Peoples land and always will be. This week is Seniors Week. And to align with that, I'm republishing an interview that was recorded a few years ago regarding a subject we don't talk about enough. It's a given that we're all eventually going to grow old. And even when we're not quite there yet, it can be hard to envision what it's like to lose mobility, lose health, and to lose capacity to do the things you want to do. This interview is about love, about respect, compassion, and caring for people at the end of life. Scott Chapman, the CEO of RFDS Victoria, has developed a service to help people in their last days. At the end, I'll catch up newly with Scott to learn about what has happened in the last two years since we first recorded. When people think of the Royal Flying Doctor Service, you know, our hero brand is the Outback and Rescue, and it's very important. But when I started working for the Royal Flying Doctor Service Victoria, whom I'd never heard of, uh, I, I learned that it was quintessentially a Victorian story, that um, uh, John Flynn, who founded the, the whole service, was from Victoria. Victoria had the first or started up the first of the states with, its, with the meeting in the Melbourne Town Hall and then opened up uh, its services in the Kimberley region and, and run, ran those for 70 years. Uh, we gave all that info, all that to um, to Western Australia at, in, in the year 2000 and then we retreated back to Victoria where we had never delivered a service, yet for seven years we had been delivering services. Um, so for 10 years we were a fundraiser and then in 2010 uh, I came to, uh, to the organisation and figured that there's three things that uh, we, could, uh, we could do with this Royal Flying Doctor Service in Victoria. One is we had a greenfield site. We'd never del- del- delivered a service uh, and therefore, um, you know, it was really open to us. Secondly, we had a little bit of money in the bank, about $3 million. We'd always been fundraising and sending those funds to other uh, states and we still do that. Uh, and also there was a brand to kill for, you know, the Royal Flying Doctor Service and everything it stands for, which is quintessentially you know, Australian, look after your mates. It's about quality. It's about service. Um, and with that, set about to build the Flying Doctors profile and services in Victoria. And over that 10 years, we have gone from uh, six part-time staff and a turnover of about $2.5 million 
to this year where we have just on 660 staff and uh, a turnover of $50 million. And that journey has been uh, one where we're a very legitimate part of the Royal Flying Doctor Service across the whole of Australia. As well as a legitimate part of Victorian health services, I would say. Well, exactly right. I mean, you know, we're all about overcoming the, um, the tyranny of distance um, and distance doesn't always have to be uh, a long way away. You can be one hour outside of a capital city and, uh, and health services are just not there and you can't get to them because you don't, you don't drive or you're a full-time carer or you're elderly, uh, or just, or you're sick. Um, so, um, so what we've found is that the, the work that we do in Victoria complements the work that everyone does across the country. That's fabulous. What, what do you love about your job, Scott? I think it's well, first of all, you, you have to believe in your product or your service, and I and, and I, I believe that um, uh, that the Royal Flying Doctor Service is very, very Australian. Uh, it's. Um, it, it, it met a need at the time. It was innovative, uh, and and that and the need is still there today. What I love about the job are really the people, uh, the donors who, who support us are tremendous. Um, we are custodians of of their money only, and we need to spend it and apply it wisely. Uh, it's the people who who we uh, who, who provide the services from everyone from pilots to ambulance drivers to dentists to doctors. Um, to mechanics, uh, everyone's working because they love the organisation, and then through to those who we help, you know, the patients or the uh, um, or the families that we affect, um, and, and we we impact on lots and lots of people. So for me, it's it's been a, a dream ten years, hard work, but a dream. How did you come to discover that there was a need for an additional service for the elderly? Well, I, I think it, it, as I get older, and I'm in my sixties now. Um, as I get older, you start to uh, realise that you can you can almost touch the other end of your life if you reach out far enough, and that's a scary thought. Whereas when you're younger, it's 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 in the never never, you know, it'll never happen. But it's starting to come, and, and as as you start to lose friends, and your parents um, go through uh, through the uh, the last chapter, the last the last quarter, I guess uh, it becomes a bit more real. Um, and what I found is that. By spending time um, uh, in aged care through some of the voluntary work I do, uh, uncles, aunties, all the rest of it, where, where's the dignity in, in getting old? And, and you have to be tough to be old. Um, you know, as you get older, you've got more ailments. You've got, you know, uh, you've got less relevance at times. And it's, it's, it's hard work. And, uh, and I've seen firsthand how tough it is you have to be to be, uh, to be elderly. And less mobility, I would say, as well. Well, there's that as well. And, um, and I guess that brings us to today's topic, which uh, is that uh, I, was in, um, I was in America helping to set up a, an, a fundraising arm of the Royal Flying Doctor Service over there, just as we have one already in, in the UK. And it was late at night. Um, I was jet lagged. I was trying to find uh, a decent um, television show to watch on the 400 stations that they have over there. And the only one I could come, I came across because I was wide awake at 2 a.m. was this uh, show uh, on, on what was called the Wish Ambulance, and uh, it was in Dutch, so I had to read the uh, read the subtitles. And it was about a um, an ambulance officer who had picked up a, a, a patient who was only 44 years old but uh, was dying of cancer and was taking him on his last trip from hospital to palliative care and had just loaded him into the ambulance 
when uh, he got a phone call saying that the palliative care bed wasn't available for about four hours. So Kays, who was the uh, ambulance uh, fellow who I've met since, and I'll talk about that, went into the back of the ambulance and said to the patient, we'll put you back in, in your ward because there's nowhere, you know, the, the bed's not ready. And the, uh, the patient said, I, I, please don't put me back in there. I've been in there for three months. I don't want to go back in. Kay said, well, what would you like to do? And he said, well, while I've been, dry, while I've been lying in my bed and, you know, undergoing my cancer treatment and everything else, I've just wanted to go down to the docks where I worked um, for all my life and smell the sea air and listen to the sounds of the, uh, of the boats and the ships and, and shipping. So Kay's decided he had no other jobs. So off he went uh, and took him down there and organised for the fella's family to come as well and, uh, and it was a tremendous, uh, almost a reunion uh, of fulfilling a last wish. He was te- then telling people, um, the fella obviously passed away eventually, and Kays was uh, at, a, at, a, at a dinner at his place with friends and he was telling them about this, uh, this service or this opportunity or, or this thing that he did. And one of the other people in there said, my mother has just dreamed of wanting to see uh, a particular Rembrandt painting um, at the Rikes Museum one last time. Could you knock off an ambulance on Saturday? So... Kays actually did that, and um, there's a magnificent photo of this this lady lying in her in a stretcher um, with oxygen and everything else, and all of her family standing around her in front of this magnificent Rembrandt. And from that, he the idea was born in his head that um, you know there's something in this that uh, granting a last wish for for people who are who are dying. Um, could be something great to do. So he started this this going, and now it's it's full time. It's it's called Wish Ambulance. It's it's based in Rotterdam. Uh, he's got six uh, vehicles. He's got lots of volunteer drivers and and medical people, and um, and from there it's just kicked on. And now there's about twenty countries that uh, are involved. And I wanted to put Australia on the map as as one of those countries. So while I was lying in bed watching this show, um, I thought, crikey's, we've got about over 100 um, patient transport vehicles. He's doing this with five. Um, we've got, you know, as we said, you know, lots of staff and we make sure it's a volunteer program for our staff. No one's paid to do it. Um, why couldn't we do something like this here in, in, in Australia and start it off in Victoria? And we had already done a couple of these things. You know, uh, I remember, um, you know, 12 months before this, so uh, a couple of staff who were transporting um, a lady from um, from hospital to to palliative care. Um, it was supposed to be a forty minute job, and they were gone for three hours. So I called them in, and said, "Guys, what's going on? You know, you're supposed to be uh, uh, doing the uh, doing the work of uh, of the flying doctors, and in this case, uh, you know, road patient transport." And uh, one of the fellas pulled out his phone and showed me a photo, and here's two burly um, ambos with tattoos and everything else sitting on a small park bench in a backyard and between them is this um, 79-year-old lady who said, is it okay on my way to palliative care if we could just drop by and see my garden one more time? So here these guys are sitting there with a cup of tea. Well, I couldn't go crooked them after that and as a result I thought, well, that's exactly what the flying doctors are about. Yes, we save lives. Yes, we, we provide fantastic health services. Yes, we try and overcome the barriers of accessing good good health services, but we also do it with compassion. So we're all about better health, better lives. What about better, better, better end of life as well? And from that, we've now done quite a few of those. 
comes down to this point on respect, isn't it? Of um, people come to the end of their life and, and it's granting them to be able to do what they wish or go where they wish to um, in those last days or hours or or whatever. It, it makes me glassy-eyed, to be honest. <laughs> and and there's, there's fantastic organisations, you know, such as Make-A-Wish and others for... For, you know, children under 18, but there's no, there's not much around for those over that. And in granting a last wish, uh, it's interesting, but the, you know, the wishes of the dying are not, I want to go to Disneyland or, you know, it's pretty much, I'd like to go to the seaside. I'd like to go home and sit in my lounge room and just, and we've done this. And I'll just look at the ornaments and the photos in that room that, that, you know, tells a story of their life and they'll sit there for two or three hours and then we'll take them back to, uh, to the hospital or to the palliative care place. And we continue to get phone calls as people have heard a little bit about it. It was only recently that, uh, that John, or as his family know him, is Jack, um, we were contacted uh, from a, an aged care facility in Victoria, uh, asking uh, whether we could take him to his farm. And he had been, he was 94 years old. For 91 years, he'd lived on this farm um, his whole life. In the last three years, he was in aged care. And it was a matter of going back to see his horses, um, to see his neighbours, to look at his uh, wife's rose garden. Um, His wife had passed away six years uh, earlier. We asked for, could someone, you know, go and pick up John and take him back to his farm? Uh, we had six staff uh, out of ten uh, available and and volunteer, and two had just come off a very long shift, but they said yes, we can do it uh, the next day. But because they'd come off of a long shift, two other staff said, "Well, look, you you guys go home and get some rest. We know John loved Jack loves um, loves the bush and the smell of the bush." So they cleaned and decorated the inside of our, our patient transport vehicle with gum leaves. They played, they found out his, his favourite song and they played that through the radio and the family drove along behind as we took, uh, took Jack from the aged care out to, uh, out to his farm. And uh, as a result of that, uh, he passed away only four days after the, after the transport. But um, they said he had a, a great smile on his face. And when you talk to staff afterwards, they... I mean, they spend time in tears, families in tears. The only person who's happy is the patient who's getting the wish. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's all about compassion. It's all about just, you know, providing better ways or better pathways to, uh, to end of life. And we've done, it, we've, we've done that on, with aircraft as well. Um, and it doesn't always have to be just dying, for example. Uh, and I think you, you and I have spoken about the, the three sisters where the the 97-year-old sister rang us and said, look, it's my, my 100th, it's the, it's the birthday, uh, 100th birthday of my older sister and I can get there and, um, and to her aged care place, but my 94-year-old sister uh, can't. She's incapacitated. You know, could you help us? And I'm thinking, oh, crikey, he's got to pick, pick this lady up and take her two and a half hours by ambulance to, um, to the aged care home where her older sister's having her 100th. Are going to have staff. You know how much is it going to cost? How long are they going to have? How long's the party going to go for? Well, the party went for twenty minutes because I suppose if you're a hundred, it doesn't last that long. She came down from her room. She had they had a cup of tea, blew out the candles, and went back to bed. 
Um, we then took um, the the 94-year-old uh, sister back again. But what we learned after that is that there was a first time in 22 years that those three sisters had been in the same room together. And if you add up their ages, it comes to almost 300 years of sistership coming together. So we get a bit teary when we tell these tears. I can see your eyes, you can see my eyes. <laughs> um, have you had feedback from family members? We have. Um, and interestingly, um, although it's not about donations, we will find that family members who, who just don't think that this service exists because the, obviously the very first port of call is Ambulance Victoria and rightly so, they can't take their ambulances off the road um, because of you know, they need to be ready for emergency work. Because we're involved in non-emergency transport as well, um, we, you know, we can do that. Uh, so we had, you know, we have family members who uh, who'll ring us, um, who are so grateful for for being able to spend that last last moment with uh, with their uh, at, at a place of, of significance. Um, and we we you know obviously with permission we take photos, we provide an album, um, and you know when we launch this, you know we'll probably provide a bear or, or some kind of a, a memento as well to to mark that day. It was interesting when I, I was a, two years ago. Um, I went over to uh, to Rotterdam to meet with Kays and and have a look at what he was doing with his his wish ambulance. Uh, we call it Memory Lane here, um, and um, they're fulfilling with a pure a fully volunteer program. They're fulfilling about nine or ten wishes each week. They have a roster of drivers who have come from police or fire or emergency services or AMBOs who have all trained in that. They've got a roster of doctors and palliative care staff and nurses who, who tell them, you know, these are the days I'm available, and then the call will come in. And uh, it's been everything from a young girl at 21 years of age who wanted to, uh, to go to a concert of her favourite band um, uh, to others who want to go to the zoo. Uh, and what we'll need to do, and following their, their lead, is that we start to build relationships with, uh, with destinations. So the zoo is not going to charge us to go in there, but they'll say, come to the back entrance and we can wheel the person through. Um, it's even gone as far as uh, of people do want to do Christmas shopping before their last, it'll be their last Christmas and uh, and the and the department store will open up uh, after it's cl- after it's closed at ten o'clock, but it's open just for uh, for this patient uh, to do their Christmas shopping. Usually in a stretcher, lying fully prone with oxygen and everything else, through the aisles with a few staff uh, to do their shopping for their family for one last time. There's stories abundant in this, uh, Lana. What does Palliative Care Victoria think of the work you're doing? Well, they're they're very happy about the fact that. Uh, Anything to do with dignity in dying is is, is what they're about, um, and uh, and this is, this adds to the program. So we've we've worked with Palliative Care Victoria, we've spoken with Palliative Care Australia, we've spoken to a couple of hospitals as well. Um, so they're fully behind it, uh, and and certainly support uh, the work that we are doing. But I, I do want to stress, it is there's no charge to the family. It needs to be a voluntary service because you get the right level of compassion and commitment if people are doing it in their own spare time. So far, everyone's a winner. So I know you've created this service uh, within Victoria to go on for generations, which leads me, I guess, to then ask, if you could project yourself, Scott, into your last days, what would be your last trip? 
For me, I'd like to emulate what a, a young 41-year-old um, mother uh, wanted to but couldn't. Uh, we received a phone call uh, from a hospital up in Mansfield and this young mum of 41 who had two children uh, with brain tumour wanted to go back to the high country um, to, uh, to smell the air and to see the, see the wattle and the, and the gum trees and the mountains and the streams one last time. Uh, and it was a very long trip. It was going to take two and a half hours going across the high, high country here in Victoria. Um, she wasn't able to make that trip. It was just deemed too hard for her. And interestingly, she'd, she'd been hanging on for a while in hope of this trip. And as soon as it was taken away from her, that night she passed away. So it's interesting that, the, the, that these trips can, um, can prolong uh, life because it gives them something to look forward to. I've always been an outdoor person. Um, one of the great things about the Flying Doctor is I get to see a lot of this land. And for me, it's very simple. I just want to go up to the high country in Victoria um, on one of the mountains uh, and just smell the gum leaves and look across uh, some of the, the blue valleys. It's as simple as that. And then you can do with me what you like after that. It's just wonderful. That was Scott Chapman, the CEO of RFDS Victoria. We recorded that chat two years ago, and I wanted to touch base with him again now to see how this respectful and caring service is travelling. Hi, Scott. How's Memory Lane going now? Lana, it's, uh, it's been amazing how it's been taken up. We've done about 37, 38 um, transports since we launched. We've had obviously over 100, 100 inquiries, and we have learnt a lot over that period of time. What we have learned is that the, the service is very valuable, um, not just for the people who we do you know, take to their last destination or journey, but m- more so for the families and friends who, who have all come away saying, in a way, it was a day of celebration rather a day of sadness. And, and what better way to send off you know, our dad, our mum, uh, whoever it might be, than the more having a day of, of, of happiness. That's fabulous. Are you delivering to a broader area now, or is it sort of uh, tends to be very centric to Melbourne itself? We've um, we've raised enough funds for two vehicles, and the vehicles, which are essentially are ambulances with all the capability and capacity of a of a medical transport vehicle, but don't look like it. You know, we've tried to make sure that it's not so clinical that people feel like they're in a uh, in, in a mobile hospital. So we've got one stationed in Melbourne and the other one we've stationed in, in Bendigo, but, but we're doing, doing them all over the place. It was, interestingly, uh, just this last Anzac Day, we had a request from Horsham, uh, an old digger, uh, Ray. He, was, uh, he wanted to go to his last dawn service. He was in, a, uh, in an aged care place um, in, and uh, had been hanging on and holding on they heard about us. Um, our staff, as, as you know, they all volunteer, so we don't pay any of our staff. Uh, left um, Bendigo uh, at about um, uh, 11 o'clock at night. They drove to Horsham. They had a couple of hours sleep. They were up at 3 o'clock. They went and picked up Ray and his family and took him to the Horsham Dawn service. And uh, there's a fantastic photo of... Obviously, we couldn't get him out of his bed, so we just opened the back doors of the... Uh, of the memory lane vehicle and, and propped up the bed, uh, backed it right up against the uh, the gold ropes. He was virtually part of the parade. And Ray, who was a farmer, who was not doesn't say a lot. His family said, you know, we, we don't get a lot of praise out of Dad. Uh, at the end of it, he turned to his um, his wife and his and his son and daughter were there and said, 
that was okay. And for him to say that was okay was a huge accolade to the family because he's never been that demonstrable. And, uh, and that night, in fact, that very night, he, uh, he was ready to go and he, uh, he passed away. So it's interesting how often people hold on until they get that special time with their family or visit that special place and then much more peacefully make a decision to say, well, I don't need to fight anymore. Yeah. Do your staff find it fulfilling to volunteer for this type of work? Uh, certainly. We, um, we, what we do is we, we, we have um, you know, our drivers who are either paramedics or ATAs or PTOs. We have nurses and others. So when we, put a, when we get a request in, and we have to act quite quickly because what we have learned is that we can't say, well, we can schedule you for you know, Tuesday week. You know, we need to, we need to uh, react as fast as we can within two or three days to actually complete the transport. So we'll put an email out and, uh, and you, I'll see it go out from, uh, from the coordinator and then I'll see, I won't see what comes back. But what I do here is um, later on that, you know, my thank you for blowing up my inbox. You know, so many people want to volunteer. And those who, who do volunteer say it's an absolute privilege to be let into that family circle at such a, you know, a critical time and be welcome to be a part of it. So we respectfully will sit to the side or whatever it might be. But, um, yeah, we took, uh, we took two, uh, a husband and wife who've been married for over 70 years, both living in um, different aged care facilities, uh, both um, you know, bedridden. Uh, they couldn't get into the same facility. And uh, they just wanted to, he was dying. He, he was, you know, didn't have long to go. And they just wanted to hold hands one more time. So there's a fantastic photo of these two beds side by side and two people, two old hands just holding each other. Oh, so, wow. So it's just amazing what we do uh, and it's amazing what we get get from it. So our staff you know, absolutely love it. We train them and we talk to them about it. You know, not yeah. all of them will be successful, but uh, so far those who we have transported, we've actually been able to complete the journeys. That's fantastic. Now, the whole service is free and it's provided care of donations. Do you receive enough donations to be able to continue to run the service and build the service? And and how does somebody make a donation if they wish to, to help Memory Lane? We've got enough donations to keep the service going as it is. But what we've learned is that we need to actually get one more vehicle. And in this case, the vehicle won't have a stretcher in it, but one that will take wheelchairs. Because we do have some people that cancel. Now, often they'll cancel because it's, you know, it's, it's, it's too late and their doctor won't let them go uh, or they're just not well, well enough on the day for whatever reason. So they're very, or, or they've left it too late to book with us. But we have had a couple of people cancel and we look at why people cancel. And uh, a couple of times people have said, well, I don't want to go in a stretcher. I'm, I'm okay in a wheelchair. And it's about that pride. And I remember trying to get my father onto a walking stick and then onto a walker. But crikey, he would not do that because I'm not at that point yet. So we are raising money for another vehicle, um, which will be a, it's called a hoist vehicle, which we can put uh, wheelchairs in as well. I mean, any donations um, are certainly welcome. It means that you're actually a part of helping people make those final journeys. Um, and, uh, and the best way is through the website, which I have no idea what that is. I, I do know that if you just search RFDS Memory Lane, uh, it'll pull up and, and you can either make a booking, make an inquiry or make a donation. So um, just look up that if um, any listener is keen to learn more. 
You must have a, a really good, warm, fuzzy feeling on this whole thing, Scott. It's been such an amazing initiative and it's just growing from strength to strength. Are you really happy and proud with what you're delivering? Oh, absolutely. It's certainly added another part to uh, to what we do as the flying doctors because traditionally we're about saving lives and in a way we're not saving lives, but here we're saving memories. We're saving people's dignity at, at the very end where they're still able to arrange something that their family or their friends can participate in. It's fantastic to have it. There's, there's a couple more that have started up in Australia now. So I know in Queensland, um, uh, Palliative Care Queensland have one vehicle and there's a husband and wife in Western Australia uh, who have, um, they work for St John's over there, which is the ambulance in, in Western Australia. And they've got a, a vehicle going as well and they call it the Wish Ambulance. So I think the more, the merrier. Uh, great if the flying doctors could do it all over the place, but uh, as long as we're getting to these people and providing what I hope, you know, I, I will be able to enjoy if, uh, if I ever get to that, uh, position for everyone so it is a, it is a warm feeling the, the downside though lana is that the person who began it uh kate keys kwes in amsterdam or rotterdam uh, about 12 months ago i received a uh, an invitation to his funeral um so at the age of 62 he started all of this and you know the, the previous podcast we did gave you the the history of his great work he died of a heart attack suddenly about 12 months ago so one, he was never, never the recipient of the service that he actually started, and two, sixty-two years of age is very, very young. So, yeah. um, so a few people are starting to name their vehicles with Key's name, uh, you know, on it as well, in honour of him. That's very sad. Thank you so much, Scott. It's it's been great to catch up, and and I wanted to say thank you for all that you're doing to help people in their last days. It's. It's a subject we don't talk about enough, I think. And it's Seniors Week this week, and I reckon now's the time to be talking more about end of life and, and what people need and want. Absolutely. End of life planning is, is, is a part of life. It has been, as you say, a hidden, you know, a hidden topic. But, um, you know, if you're going to live well, then let's, you know, in a way, let's pass away well as also and, uh, and do it in, in a celebratory, uh, memorable way. And... Um, uh, so it's great and um, you know we've got a dinner tomorrow night and we have a couple of, uh, of the families who uh, we've, we've provided services to coming to speak you know one was uh, taking a son home for his last Christmas and the other one was uh, certainly taking uh, AJ 43 year old breast cancer lady who just wanted to feel the sand between her toes one more time and we got her to the beach oh, that's fantastic thanks so much Scott thank you Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with family and friends. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also join our new Facebook group called the Flying Doctor Podcast Community, where you can chat to other listeners. And please do try out our new podcast hotline. You can call and leave an audio message with questions and feedback on the podcast. The number for the hotline is 02-8405-7928. We look forward to hearing from you. The Flying Doctor podcast was presented by me, Lana Mitchell, and senior producer is Mandy Cullen.